Welcome, everyone, to the First Presbyterian Church podcast. We are First Presbyterian in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and we are glad that you are here listening with us, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, We hope that your day will be blessed, and may the peace of Christ be with you. Well, today, as you can see, is Pentecost Sunday. It's traditionally been known as the birthday of the church. In fact, we sang happy birthday, didn't we? And this is true enough. But today, uh, just for a moment, I'd like you to take a breath of the Spirit with me. Imagine Jesus, the risen Christ, with us this morning saying in one of the lectionary passages that we didn't read in John 20, 19 to 23, because we've looked at it in previous messages. In fact, it was the first message I heard in this church when Chelsea preached on forgiveness. But Jesus breathed on the disciples and then said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins, they are retained. Are you ready? (laughs) All right. So as you breathe in, just play along. Breathe in. Take a breath. And allow the risen Christ to fill you with the Holy Spirit, which comes to us from God through Jesus so that we might have divine energy and power within us. I just read this morning, uh, just before I got in the car, from Richard Orr, that literally the breath that we breathe is the Spirit of God. So just think about that for a minute. The very breath that we take in is a gift of God, and the Spirit is breathing life into us. So that we can be sent into our world working and extending the promise of peace. Boy, the world needs that more than ever, doesn't it? Engaging us, as the late theologian Gail O'Day said, in the community spirit empowered mission. A spirit empowered mission to continue Jesus' work of making God known in the world. The Holy Spirit is here and present to us. We don't like to talk about that much in Presbyterian circles. We're getting better. Uh, We are getting better. And one of the ways uh, the community of the risen Christ does this spirit-empowered mission is through the forgiveness of sin. Think of of the Apostle Paul who persecuted early followers of Jesus. And then he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He didn't meet Jesus. He met the risen Christ. Now, maybe they are one and the same, but the risen Christ is carrying on through us this mission to bring peace to the world. Now, interesting that, and once it was clear that the Apostle Paul had received the Spirit... Those who had seen him persecute others 
forgave him and welcomed him into the church. What a statement to the world. You can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. That kind of forgiveness, but that kind of forgiveness because of this relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit speaks powerfully to our broken world that God loves. Now, interestingly, uh, O'Day said, also said that in John, sin is primarily not recognizing and embracing the revelation of Jesus. That was the community theme in John around sin. If the, the sin is that you don't recognize what God is doing through Jesus or you refuse to recognize or you refuse to accept or, you, or, or you're just so tired that you, you, you can't fathom the wondrous possibility. So one of the ways the early followers make the revelation of God through the risen Christ known is how, by how they forgive Paul. Which then becomes one of the, he becomes one of the primary apostles to us, spreading the gospel around the world. And he says, it's because of the grace that was given to me first by God, the forgiveness, and then by the community of the followers of the way. So how are we, you and I, making the presence of God known in our world? How are we and you and I, as the presence of Christ, continuing to make the revelation of God through Jesus known? Where are we providing this? And now some context about the Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came on an important Jewish holiday. It was known as the Festival of Weeks, which begins on the 50th day after the Passover. So this is... This is the 50th day after the Passover. And Pentecost was, was a harvest festival where Jewish families would bring their first fruits of the harvest. And, and they anticipated that God would bless the rest of their harvest. You can read about this in Deuteronomy 26, verses 5 through 11. So Pentecost was already symbolically rich for those in the temple for the beginning of a bountiful gathering. But in Acts, what was reaped, says theologian Jeremy L. Williams, was not produce, but people. So Pentecost is also the day that commemorates the Israelites receiving the Torah or the law, which Moses received from God on Mount Sinai. And early in the common era when Acts was written, people understood that there were two components to the Torah, the written part, which God had inscribed for Moses in the first five books of, the, of, what, of, of, of our Bible, which is known as the Torah. But there was also the oral Torah, and it was passed on from generation to generation through a teacher. Now, understanding this is helpful when you hear this story, because in Acts, you find in chapter 1, verse 2, right at the beginning, Jesus, the teacher... Now as the risen Christ teaches through the Holy Spirit. It's a fascinating phrase. The understanding that Acts is making clear, scholars believe, and I do too, that the Spirit is now being, that is being poured out on all people is now the teacher of the oral Torah that is passed on from 
generation to generation, and that's a long history now of how it began and where we are now. Acts also considers these two components of the written and oral Torah and how the Holy Spirit appears by using images similar to God giving the Torah in the Old Testament through loud noises, wind and fire. And the author of Acts also imagines what the oral Torah might look like as Jewish people are being dispersed from their homeland and their temple is destroyed in around 70 CE, which is when Acts was written. So they're they're on the move, they're, they're like refugees, they're being kicked out of their homeland. And they're looking for a place to go. And, and their temple, their beloved, imagine if this beloved place was suddenly destroyed. Or all our Bibles were gone, what would we do? Have an oral, we'd pass along our oral stories. And so, this context of being dispersed and the temple being destroyed gives us a better understanding of how it came to be that there were devout Jews from every nation under all of heaven, from all non-Jewish and Gentile places staying in Jerusalem. These devout Jews were amazed because they heard the Galileans speaking to them in their native languages. And some wondered what it meant, of course, and well, they all wondered what it meant, I would think. But others accused those receiving the Holy Spirit as drunk. And Peter then uses an Old Testament prophecy from Joel 3, verses 1 through 5, to explain what was occurring. Now listen, look at verse 17. In the last days. So the author and Peter takes an Old Testament passage to explain what is happening is saying in the last days God will pour out his spirit on all people all flesh in some translations men and women daughters and sons the passage by the way deliberately names daughters in the Greek young and old enslaved men doulos and enslaved women doulos notice this pouring out of the Holy Spirit on this Pentecost does not discriminate by gender, by age, or by those on the lowest rungs of our social ladders, the underclass. It's worth noting, says Williams, the theologian, that those named are relatively powerless without the spirit. And he suggests that by naming those who are chronically ignored and overlooked, it was a male society. The women didn't have a lot of power. The young didn't have a lot of power. The old didn't have a lot of power. And neither did those who were enslaved. But the prophet, Williams believes, is highlighting by not naming the wealthy, the patriarchs, the able-bodied, the enslavers. By not naming them, he believes the prophet in Joel in the last days is highlighting that those who think they are safe because of their wealth or gender or ability or domination of others are the very ones who need new tongues to call on the name of God to be saved. Remember how I said at the beginning of this message that Pentecost has traditionally been understood as the 
birthday of the church. Well, Acts scholar Earl Richard suggests that we should view Pentecost in a broader way, not just with nostalgia as a one-time event. Rather, we should see Pentecost as a reoccurring theme. What Richard means by that is that there are multiple Pentecosts. Matt Skinner, a New Testament scholar, says Pentecost should be understood as God breaking in through the Spirit and setting the people and the church on a new course or a new discovery of what God is making possible because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the pattern, by the way, in Acts in the, for the early church. The Spirit shows up not just on Pentecost Sunday, but the Spirit shows up throughout the book of Acts, creating chaos and wonder and confusion and opportunity for the followers of Christ to continue to live into. Maybe Skinner suggests that Pentecost is about a new kind of belonging. Those people who were dispersed discover a new kind of belonging, one that is powerful, where people do things they don't have power to do for the creation of a new community, a community of belonging. And this is part of being saved, being together. Isn't, isn't that what we're longing for, all of us? A sense of community and belonging where we can use our gifts to build up the community of God and, our, and people and using our gifts given to us by the Spirit for unity and not division, as Paul suggests in the Corinthians passage we read together. In verse 7 in that Corinthians passage, it says, demonstration of the Spirit, or some translate it as manifestations of the Spirit. We've all been given different demonstrations or manifestations of the Spirit, but it's given to each person for what? The common good. Not to think you're special or not to divide the church like what happened in the church I grew up in when the, uh, the Holy Spirit came on young people in the Christian Reformed Church and some began to speak in tongues and then some of the older people said that's of, the, that's of Satan and then some people began to get jealous. Why didn't it happen to me? I don't know if any of you have experienced that in the, in the 70s. But that happened. And to think that the church's response was that is of Satan. And then to see what was done as the Spirit was pouring out, pouring out new gifts upon people to try to find a new way to be, to carry out the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happened was division and not unity. Thinking about the, the Holy Spirit showing up in the midst of chaos and wonder and confusion and Opportunity. I thought about all that we have lived through these last few years. Some in the Presbyterian Church have described this time period of history as living through multiple pandemics. The pandemic of COVID, the pandemic of racism. Did you know that it was the third anniversary of George Floyd's killing this week? We, we all watched a aghast 
at the images of a cold-blooded murder on television. The pandemic of economic inequality, increasing poverty around the world. What if living through these things are part of God breaking into our world again? Where injustice and inequality and segregation and oppression and suffering, the abuse of creation, political terrorism, violence, demonization of society's underclass seem to reign. We all, I don't know if you, how you talk about it, but when I talk to my friends, we say the world is upside down. Feels like it's out of whack. And what if God is breaking through us so that we might carry out this mission to make Jesus, the risen Christ, known in the world that he loves, that God loves? I leave you on this Pentecost Sunday with, with a couple of questions. What if God is breaking through with the spirit of the risen Christ setting us on a new course or a new discovery of what God is making possible. And then with hope that as we live into our Pentecost, the arc of the universe will bend towards justice. I witnessed it myself in a video story I produced about two churches in Princeton, New Jersey, one predominantly black and one predominantly white who have spent the past few years working together to understand the language of each other's hearts. It's a powerful testimony to how the spirit is at work attempting to help us understand each other. And we're gonna to try to take a look at that now, um, if we can. And if not, um, I'll just tell you that they've been meeting together for five years now. These two, these two Nassau Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church churches. and Witherspoon Street Presbyterian Church have a long history as PCUSA congregations in Princeton, New Jersey. Enslaved and free black Americans began worshiping at Nassau 255 years ago in segregated seating in the balcony. Nearly 75 years later, they formed their own church on Witherspoon Street in 1840. Our churches are joined together by a really long, frequently troubling history, but churches both working actively to find solutions to problems together as Christians. A few years back, we kind of formalized a partnership between the two churches. So there was a group that we met, we meet regularly with maybe five members, I think, from each church. The day that we really shifted gears was right, right after George Floyd died. When George Floyd was murdered, there were a lot of emotions running. Suddenly, <laughs> conversations that were easy to have uh, became more difficult and I didn't have words. The race difference became 
um, the elephant in the room. Because I couldn't deal with my feelings of pain and and anger and all of us were feeling that way. We, we expressed how hurt we were by actually watching that video. And the, and the face of the police officer, he just looked like he knew nothing's gonna happen to me. I can do whatever I want to this black man whose neck I have my, my boot on. The trauma of all of us watching it's like if you went to an execution. Who wants to go to an execution and see someone who is live and then there's no breath anymore? I feel like that was a turning point where people were really ready to listen. People were, were willing to face things that were not pretty about our history. And I think prior to that, there was a sense that, oh, well, um, it's, not, it's not always about race. I thought that I understood the depth of the problem, and until I saw someone kneeling with some, on someone else's neck with impunity, knowing that he was being recorded, just blew my eyes open. Out of those conversations, Witherspoon and Nassau launched Bending the Moral Arc. Two small groups, consisting of five members from each congregation, decided to meet weekly to talk about race and social justice. You know, I'm I'm a white guy. I'm in um, I'm honored to be in a church that's predominantly black, and just that experience has really helped open my eyes to some issues. And uh, I hope, in my small way, I've been able to do the to do it vice versa. Uh, but it's been a real honor. So that's what I think. It's so important for us to learn about one another. I remember driving in my car and hearing the result of George Zimmerman's uh, being found not guilty, I pulled over and it was like a stake in my heart. I no longer for the first time in 50 years trusted the American justice system. All of the things that have been going on in society around me, one of the things that begin to wonder is, you know, do people really value me? Um, and is there, do white people have a problem with black people? So the notion of a predominantly black church and a predominantly white church getting together and having the synergy of different outlooks and seeing the white people learn from the black people and vice versa has been very transformational. You know, what has come out of the Bending the Moral Arc? I think the fact that we're having this conversation is, is part of that, that, that this may inspire other, you know, people of faith to continue on with this sort of a, a process and a conversation. To me, that's a ripple effect. It's equally important for individuals who are in rural, small, white churches to reach out to people that are part of uh, segregated black communities in urban centers. Why? So we can learn from each other. The more we get to spend time working together, individuals side by side, working on projects together, and at the end of it, we have trust, we have love, we have Christian faith. That's what Matthew 25 is all about. So it's a discussion group, but it's also one with the intention of doing something, of being active, to, to, to kick a hole in the, in the, in the uh, infrastructure and actually do work that bends the moral arc toward justice. Thank you.